Uncommon Sense Advice on your work life, your personal life, and God knows what else. Welcome to How to Do Life with Dr. Marty Nemco. I have grown convinced having thought about what's changed me, what's changed my clients, what's changed my friends, that short form is more likely to create change than books or even articles. And the ultimate in the short form is the quotation. Well, because of that, I've recently reviewed literally thousands of quotes from some of our most respected luminaries and um, picked out those that I think are most likely to be of value to, to me, to clients, to you. But lists of quotes can be boring. And so in an attempt to make it more interesting, what I did was I took quotes from pairs of people and I paired them up into and stitched them together in kind of conversations so that the quotes are a little more interesting than if it's just a list. Anyway, uh, in this edition of my podcast, I'm going to read them all to you. There's about 20 of them, and it's going to be the longest, probably be a little over an hour, I'm guessing. Um, most of them are serious, but I want to start with one that's funny, and that is Woody Allen, Joan Rivers, and Wanda Sykes, and we'll call it a contest of who's funniest. Woody Allen's a multiple Academy Award-winning actor and director, in 2008, a UK survey ranked Allen the third greatest comedian. Joan Rivers was a comedian and actress who, in 2017, Rolling Stone ranked sixth on its list of the 50 best stand-up comics of all time. Wanda Sykes won an Emmy for her work as a writer on The Chris Rock Show, and in 2004, Entertainment Weekly named Sykes one of the 25 funniest people in America. Among many comedians, their prolific, clever one-liners made them appropriate for this format. And, as I said, here I'm going to stitch together some of their popular quotations. And to set it up, I added a few words, uh, and uh, then we begin. Um, again, this is me, not Al, but I'm having Willie Allen say, I'm funnier than the two of you put together. Sykes and Rivers together say, we'll show you. Allen says, okay, let's go. And now from here on in, it's their quotes. Woody Allen says, when I was kidnapped, my parents snapped into action. They rented out my room. Rivers. I knew I was an unwanted baby when I saw that my bath toy was a toaster. Sykes. I knew I was outspoken when I was a kid because whenever my parents had company coming over, they would pay me to leave. Go see your grandmother. Get out of here. That was my first paying gig. Alan. I failed to make the chess team because of my height. When we played softball, I'd steal second base, feel guilty, and go back. Rivers, I don't exercise. If God had wanted me to bend over, he would have put diamonds on the floor. The first time I see a jogger smiling, I'll consider exercising. Alan, I was nauseous and tingly all over. I was either in love or had smallpox. Sex without love is a meaningless experience, but as far as meaningless experiences go, it's pretty damn good. I'm such a good lover because I practice a lot on my own. Sykes, Florida has so many strip clubs, they need to change their state flag to a brass pole. Men are dogs. Men are dogs. But we got to stop it. Men are not dogs. Dogs are loyal. Alan, the food here is terrible, and the portions are too small. Why does man kill? He kills for food. And not only for food, frequently there must be a beverage. Rivers, it's obvious that women are smarter than men. Think about it. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. Man's best friend is a dog. I hate weddings. Weddings are nothing more than catering with virgins. Sorry, in the old days it was virgins. Now it's baby mamas. I hate housework. You make the beds, you do the dishes, and six months later you have to start all over again. Alan, my wife was immature. I'd be home in the bath and she'd come in and sink my boats. Sykes, 
You can't make a woman happy. That's like trying to cure a fatal disease. The goal is to treat the symptoms so you can comfortably live with the illness. Alan, I took a speed reading course and read War and Peace in 20 Minutes. It involves Russia. I'm very proud of my gold pocket watch. My grandfather on his deathbed sold me this watch. What if everything is an illusion and nothing exists? In that case, I definitely overpaid for my carpet. Rivers. I blame my mother for my poor sex life. All she told me was the man goes on top and the woman underneath. For three years, my husband and I slept in bunk beds. I have flabby thighs, but fortunately, my stomach covers them. My best birth control now is just leave the lights on. It's been so long since I've had sex, I've forgotten who ties up whom. I've had so much plastic surgery, when I die, they'll donate my body to Tupperware. My husband wanted to be cremated. I told him to scatter his ashes at Neiman Marcus. That way, I'd visit him every day. Sykes. I don't like to say and keep your friends close and enemies closer. I want my enemy on a different planet. I'm easily annoyed. I would shoot people in my house that I invited over. I couldn't believe we elected an orangutan to front the country. I'm a black gay woman. I think the only way to make the GOP hate me more is if I send them a video of me rolling around on a pile of welfare checks. Alan. My luck is getting worse and worse. Last night I was mugged by a Quaker. Life is divided into the horrible and the miserable. And it's all over much too soon. Sykes. L.A. is nothing but a bunch of driving, and I hate all that damn driving because it interferes with my drinking. Don't bother me while I'm eating or while I'm coming out of the crack house. Just let me get going. Rivers. All my friends are dying. That's why I always wear black. Alan. I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. On the plus side, death is one of the few things that can be done as easily lying down. Why are our days numbered and not, say, lettered? Rivers. I'd like to end on a serious note. Being Jewish has always been important to me. I now have 6M tattooed on the inside of my left arm. It's only a half inch, but every time anyone sees it, they're reminded of the six million who perished, and so am I. I say exactly what I think, and very often it's totally politically incorrect. I get always chastised for it. But I think I'm the only one who says, the emperor has no clothes. Alan, I also want to end on a serious note. I am thankful for laughter, except when the milk comes out of my nose. Oh, and uh, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work, I want to achieve it through not dying. Oh, and one more thing. If my films make one more person miserable, I'll feel I have done my job. Anyway, that's the first, uh, quote, conversation between luminaries. Now we get serious and we turn to Bernie Sanders and Jonathan Haidt. Jonathan Haidt is a, uh, somebody who is really uh, focusing on trying to have open-mindedness across lots of people. Uh, Bernie Sanders, a senator from Vermont, self-described democratic socialist, ran second in the Democratic nomination for president in 2016 and 2020. Jonathan Haidt is professor of ethical leadership at NYU. Prospect and Foreign Policy magazines named him one of the world's top thinkers. He described himself as a liberal, who, but who values rational thought from all sides. Okay, here is their quote conversation that I've stitched together. Sanders, people in American jails are disproportionately people of color. That's the reality in America today, and that's a reality that has to change. We become stronger when black and white, Latino, Asian American, Native American, when all of us stand together. We have begun a political revolution to transform America, and that revolution, our revolution, continues. Height. On the left, fairness often implies equality, but on the right it means proportionality. People should be rewarded in proportion to what they contribute, even if that guarantees unequal outcomes. In a weird society, you can detect oppression and inequality even when the apparent victims see nothing wrong. Sanders, uh, this is a, a two-part quote. 
because it's on the same topic, but he says the first thing in 2011 and then something rather different in 2016. 2011. These days, the American dream is more apt to be realized in South America, in places like Ecuador, Venezuela, and Argentina, where incomes are actually more equal today than they were in the land of Horatio Alger. That's America. Who's the banana republic now? Then in 2016, he altered. He said, when I'm talking about democratic socialism, I'm not looking at Venezuela. I'm not looking at Cuba. I'm looking at countries like Denmark and Sweden. Height. People who devote their lives to studying something often come to believe that the object of their fascination is the key to understanding everything. Sanders. But we are living in a nation that worships wealth rather than caring for the poor. The Occupy Wall Street protests are shining a national spotlight on the most powerful, dangerous, and secretive economic and political force in America. Height. Morality binds and blinds. It binds us into teams, but thereby makes us go blind to objective reality. Once they accept a particular narrative, they become blind to alternative moral worlds. Sanders. Do you not agree that Social Security has been the most important and valuable social program in the history of the United States? And if I had my way, we would close down every nuclear power plant in this country as soon as we could safely. Height. Our moral thinking is much more like a politician searching for votes than a scientist searching for truth. Sanders. If you are serious about real health care reform, the only way to go is single payer. Height. If you truly see it the other person's way, deeply and intuitively, you might even find your own mind opening in response. Sanders. The Postal Service is a vitally important institution for the American people. It must be saved. Height. People have strong gut feelings about what's right and wrong, and they struggle to construct post hoc justifications for those feelings. Even when the servant, that is reasoning, comes back empty-handed, the master, that is intuition, doesn't change his judgment. Sanders. Maybe we can agree on this. Citizens in a democracy need diverse sources of news and information. Height. I agree. But media from both sides tries to capitalize on the human mind being a story processor, not a logic processor. Sanders. I want to end this on a personal note. I have seven beautiful grandchildren, four of whom are girls. The next conversation is between Teachers Union Chief Randy Weingarten and past Chief Albert Shanker. We'll start with Weingarten. A rich, robust, well-resourced public education is one of the best routes out of poverty and a pathway to prosperity. Shanker. We've got a lemon factory and we're turning out 80 to 85 percent lemons. I suggest he or she visit with a 12th or even a 6th grader who can barely read, write, or compute and look at the pain and frustration on that student's face. Weingarten. Teachers make a difference in individual students' lives, yet they do not get the respect they deserve. Shanker. It's time to admit that public education operates like a planned economy, a bureaucratic system in which everybody's role is spelled out in advance and there are few incentives for innovation and productivity. It's no surprise that our school system doesn't improve. It more resembles the communist economy than our own market economy. Weingarten. Standardized testing is at cross purposes with many of the most important purposes of public education. Shanker. The key is that unless there is accountability, we will never get the right system. As long as there are no consequences if kids or adults don't perform, as long as the discussion is not about education and student outcomes, then we're playing a game as to who has the power. Weingarten. 
Merit pay has failed repeatedly, and it's no surprise. When you base teacher pay on standardized test scores, you won't improve education. You just promote the high-stakes testing craze. Shanker. The teachers' unions are the clearest example of a group that has lost its way. Whenever anyone dares to offer a new idea, the unions protest the loudest. Their attitude was memorably expressed by a longtime president of the American Federation of Teachers. He said, and I quote, when school children start paying union dues, that's when I'll start representing the interests of children. Okay, the next, quote, conversation is between Buddha and Maimonides. Gautama Buddha, commonly called just Buddha, was the founder of Buddhism, and Maimonides was a preeminent uh, Jewish scholar of his time. What good will holy words do if you do not act upon them? Foolish people are idle. Wise people are diligent. Maimonides. Yes, and there is a considerable difference between one person and another as regards intellectual faculties. Buddha. True. Should you find a wise critic to point out your faults, follow him as you would guide a, to a, a guide to hidden treasure. By the way, before I go any further, there's occasionally I've added a phrase that are connective, so it seems a little more like conversation. Uh, and I denote those in the text version of this. It's on medium.com in italics. But I've changed no meaning. All the substance is said by the, uh, the people, the, uh, the, ex, the luminaries. Maimonides says, give a person a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. Accept the truth from whatever source it comes, but do not consider it proof just because it is written in books. For a liar who will deceive with his tongue will not hesitate to do the same with his pen. Nor does truth become more true by virtue of the fact that the entire world agrees with it, nor less so even if the whole world disagrees with it. Buddha, rather than live with people who are selfish, vain, quarrelsome, and obstinate, let a person walk alone. In a controversy, the instant we feel anger, we've already ceased striving for the truth and have begun striving for ourselves. Holding on to anger is like grasping a hot coal with the intent of throwing it at someone. You are the one who gets burned. Maimonides. The current evils, the numerous evils, to which individual persons are exposed are due to the defects in the persons themselves, such as excessive desire for eating, drinking, and love. Man's obsession to add to his wealth and honor is the chief source of his misery. Buddha. Bad things do happen to good people, but good people keep on walking, whatever happens. Maimonides. Yes, the risk of a wrong decision is preferable to the terror of indecision. Buddha. Yes, act, but be aware of the process. It is better to travel well than to arrive. Do not dwell on the past. Do not dream of the future. Concentrate the mind on the present moment. The world is afflicted by death and decay, but the wise do not grieve, having realized the nature of the world. Maimonides. Perhaps this is comforting. Contrast the experience with something worse, and you cannot help but feel happy and grateful. The next conversation is between St. Matthews and Victor Davis Hanson. St. Matthew was one of Jesus' 12 apostles, often considered the most intellectual. Victor Davis Hanson is a senior fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution and was awarded the National Humanities Medal. We'll start with Hanson. I should let her know, before we do that, I should let our listeners know, you're listening to uh, How to Do Life, I'm Marty Nemco. I'm going to take a very brief break so that the announcer can do her thing. Uh, I'll be back in just a few seconds. I hope you'll stay with me. 
Uncommon Sense Advice on your work life, your personal life, and God knows what else. Welcome to How to Do Life with Dr. Marty Nemco. Okay, thank you for staying with me. Uh, as I said before, this is a conversation between, stitched together, quote, conversation between St. Matthew and Victor Davis Hanson. Hanson says, Ignorance and arrogance are a lethal combination. Nowhere do we see that more clearly than among writers and performers who pontificate as historians when they know nothing about history. Entertainers wrongly assume that their fame, money, and influence arise from broad knowledge rather than natural talent looks or mastery of a narrow skill. Matthew, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. Hansen, another wolf? Behind every liberal philanthropist fortune is a huge capitalist score. Bill Gates and Warren Buffett can afford now to be liberal and expensive indulgence because in their early incarnations they were no-holds-barred capitalists. Matthew, where your treasure is, there will be your heart. Hansen, my heart is with westernization. It, coupled with globalization, has created an affluent and leisured elite that now gravitates to universities, the media, bureaucracies, and world organizations, all places where wealth is not created but analyzed, critiqued, and lavishly spent. Matthew, man shall not live on bread alone. Hanson, indeed, California is now a valuable touchstone to the country, a warning of what not to do. Rarely has a single generation inherited so much natural wealth and bounty from the investment and hard work of those more noble now, uh, who are now resting in our cemeteries. Those now squander that gift within a generation. Matthew, if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Hanson. In a particular example of such blindness, history has shown that the government's redistribution of shrinking wealth, in preference to a private sector's creation of new sources of it, can prove more destructive than even the most deadly enemy. Matthew, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hansen, ancient wisdom, here is more. Deal in personal trust. Your word is your bond. Avoid extremes. Treat the money you invest for others as something sacred. Don't take any more perks than you would wish others to take. Don't borrow what you couldn't suddenly pay back. Imagine the worst-case financial scenario and expect it. It may very well happen. The wealthier you become, the more humble you should act. Matthew, yes, but don't cast your pearls before swine. Hansen, speaking of swine, Stalin and Mao killed over 80 million people and did not make omelets despite the broken eggs. Matthew, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Hansen, and speaking of wisdom, I saw more stupid people in graduate school and three decades in academia than I ever did among those who ran a hundred acres without going broke. Matthew, by their fruits ye shall know thee. Hansen, then there are the fruits of illegal immigration. It's supported only by those who benefit directly from it, whether in the familial sense of inexpensive nannies, cooks, or gardeners, or in the corporate interest of cheap labor in the hospitality industries, agriculture, and construction, or in the political sense of new liberal constituents, or in the tribal sense of expanding the so-called arasa base. But the vast majority of Americans accept that when federal law is ignored, chaos ensues. Matthew. Whoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him. Hansen, I'm not against globalization. It has enriched the planet beyond belief. 
leading to ever-increased demands of perfection. And thanks to 24-7 communications, we all instantaneously know when these expectations aren't met. Matthew. Men don't light a candle and put it under a bushel, but under a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all. Hanson. Benefiting from such candles, Western elites, the beneficiaries of 60 years of peace and prosperity, achieved by the sacrifices to defeat, fa defeat fascism and communism. They're unhappy in their late middle age and show little gratitude for, or any idea about who gave them such latitude. If they cannot find perfection in history, they see no good at all. Matthew. Seek and ye shall find. The next conversation that I've stitched together, quote conversation, is between Karl Marx and Milton Friedman. Karl Marx is the best known advocate for communism. Milton Friedman is the best known advocate for free market capitalism. Marx is the author of the Communist Manifesto and the three volume Das Kapital and continues to have major influence on progressive policy, the union movement and academic thought. Friedman won the Nobel Prize in Economics and The Economist magazine called him, quote, the most influential economist of the second half of the 20th century, possibly of all of it. We'll start with Marx. Capital is dead labor, which vampire-like lives only by sucking living labor, and lives the more, the more labor it sucks. Owners of capital will stimulate the working class to buy more and more expensive goods, houses, and technology, pushing them to take more and more expensive credit until their debt becomes unbearable. The unpaid debt will lead to the bankruptcy of banks, which will have to be nationalized, and the state will have to take the road that will eventually lead to communism. Friedman. First of all, tell me, is there some society you know that doesn't run on greed? You think Russia doesn't run on greed? You think China doesn't run on greed? What is greed? Of course, none of us are greedy. It's only the other fellow who's greedy. The world runs on individuals pursuing their separate interests. The great achievements of civilization have not come from government bureaus. Einstein didn't construct his theory under order from a bureaucrat. Henry Ford didn't revolutionize the automobile industry that way. The only cases in which the masses have escaped from the kind of grinding poverty you're talking about are where they have had capitalism and largely free trade. If you want to know where the masses are worse off, it's exactly in the kinds of societies that depart from that. The record of history is absolutely crystal clear. There is no alternative way so far discovered of improving the lot of the ordinary people that can hold a candle to the productive activities unleashed by the free enterprise system. Marx, no, equality is justice. Democracy is merely the road to socialism. A heavy or progressive income tax is necessary for the proper development of communism. Friedman, we have different ideas of what is fair. The great virtue of a free market system is that it does not care what color people are. It does not care what their religion is. It cares only whether they can produce something you want to buy. It is the most effective system we've discovered to enable people who hate each other to deal with each other and help one another. Marx, religion is part of the problem. It anesthetizes. Religion is the sigh of the oppressed, the heart of a heartless world, and the soul of soulless conditions. It is the opium of the masses. Friedman, here is why our already partly socialist system hurts the people and society. We have a system that increasingly taxes work and subsidizes non-work. When unions get higher wages for their members by restricting entry into an occupation, those higher wages are at the expense of other workers who find their opportunities reduced. When government pays its employees higher wages, those higher wages are at the expense of the taxpayer. But when workers get higher wages and better working conditions through the free market, when they get raises by competing with one another for the best jobs, those higher wages are at nobody's expense. 
The whole pie is bigger. There's more for the worker, but there's also more for the employer, the investor, the consumer, and even the tax collector. That's the way the free market system distributes the fruits of economic progress among all people. That's the secret of the enormous improvements in the conditions of the working person over the past two centuries, Marx. But that's not justice. We need to keep people from their history, and they are easily controlled. The education of all children, from the moment they can get along without a mother's care, shall be in state institutions. Friedman, you are so undervaluing freedom. A free market gives people what they want instead of what a particular group thinks they ought to want. The only way that has ever been discovered to have a lot of people cooperate together voluntarily is through the free market. A society that puts equality before freedom will get neither. Most economic fallacies derive from the tendency to assume that there is a fixed pie, that one party can gain only at the expense of another. There is no such thing as a free lunch. Marx. There is not a free lunch, but there can be a better lunch. Workers of the world unite. You have nothing to lose but your chains. So my object in life is to dethrone God and destroy capitalism. The theory of communism may be summed up in one sentence. Abolish all private property, from each according to his ability, to each according to his needs. The communists openly declare that their ends could be attained only by the forcible overthrow of all existing social conditions. We have no compassion and we ask no compassion from you. When our turn comes, we shall not make excuses for the terror. The last capitalist we hang shall be the one who sold us the rope. The next conversation is between uh, two Supreme Court justices, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Antonin Scalia. Unfortunately, both have um, recently died. It's true that Antonin Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg were both Supreme Justices, Supreme Court justices, and both loved opera. But it's hard to imagine they were close friends. After all, he was a conservative and a practicing Catholic. She was a liberal and a non-observant Jew. He was centrally about restraining judicial overreach, and she was about increasing women's rights, predominantly. Yet they were close friends. Their families even spent New Year's Eve together. Well, here is the stitched-together conversation between them. Ginsburg says, When I talked about sex-based discrimination, I get the response, What are you talking about? Women are treated ever so much better than men. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks. In my lifetime, I expect to see three, four, perhaps even more women on the high court bench, women now shaped from the same mold, but of different complexions. People ask me sometimes, when will there be enough women on the court? My answer, when there are nine. Scalia, it is myopic to base sweeping change on the narrow experience of a few years. Why in the world would you have the Constitution interpreted by nine lawyers? Ginsburg, some of my favorite opinions are dissenting opinions. You can't have it all, all at once. Scalia, the judge who always likes the results he reaches is a bad judge. Being a good person begins with being a wise person. Some very good people have some very bad ideas. More important than your obligation to follow your conscience, or at least prior to it, is your obligation to form your conscience correctly. Ginsburg. Antonin, you have a lowered expectation when you hear a woman speaking. Scalia. On a related issue, there are those who contend that it does not benefit African Americans to get them into the University of Texas, where they do not do well, as opposed to having them go to a less advanced school, a slower track school, where they do well. Ginsburg. I think we can at least agree on this. Reacting in anger or annoyance will not advance one's ability to persuade. Don't be distracted by emotions like anger, envy, resentment. These just zap energy and waste time. Scalia. 
I think we can also agree on this. If I had to choose, I would always take the less dynamic, indeed even the lazy person who knows what's right, than the zealot in the cause of error. Ginsburg. Let's end by reflecting a bit on our life. I had a life partner who thought my work was as important as his, and I think that made all the difference for me. Scalia. My macro thought is that I would not like to be replaced by someone who immediately sets out undoing what I've tried to do for 25, 26 years. Oh, and that Seinfeld was hilarious. Oh boy, the Nazi soup kitchen, no soup for you. Anyway, uh, the next conversation, I should let our listeners know. Uh, you're listening to How to Do Life. I'm Marty Nemco. Uh, I am um, presenting stitched together, quote, conversations between two luminary, luminaries, adding only an occasional connective, so it seems a little more like a conversation. In any event, I'm going to take a brief break so that my uh, announcer can do her thing, and I'll be back in a moment. Stay with me. Uncommon Sense Advice on your work life, your personal life, and God knows what else. Welcome to How to Do Life with Dr. Marty Nemco. Okay, I do thank you for staying with me. The next these stitched together conversations is Joseph Stalin and uh, Winston Churchill. Joseph Stalin governed the Soviet Union from 1924 to 1953. Winston Churchill was the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, the UK, from 1940 to 1945, and again from 1951 to 55. And again, or uh, I guess I don't. Yeah, occasionally I'll add a word or a small little phrase just to uh, connect it, but every, all the substance is theirs. Stalin says, If the opposition disarms, well and good. If it refuses to disarm, we shall disarm it ourselves. The only real power comes out of a long rifle. Death is the solution to all problems. The easiest way to gain control of the population is to carry out acts of terror. The death of one man is a tragedy. The death of millions is a statistic. Churchill, You regard private enterprise as a predatory tiger to be shot. We see it as a healthy horse pulling a sturdy wagon. Socialism is a philosophy of failure, the creed of ignorance, and the gospel of envy. Its inherent virtue is the equal sharing of misery. The truth is incontrovertible. Malice may attack it, ignorance may deride it, but in the end there it is. So, we shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills, we shall never surrender. Stalin. Ideas are more powerful even than guns. We would not let our enemies have guns. Why should we let them have ideas? Education is the weapon whose effects depend on who holds it in his hands. Print is the sharpest and strongest weapon of our party. I do want to stress that sometimes these quotes, parts of them come from different speeches. Um, and I, I, I do want to make clear that Churchill was not here talking about destroying uh, communism when he was talking about we will defend our island. It was against the Nazis. Okay, now continuing. Stalin says, the people who cast the votes decide nothing. The people who count the votes decide everything. A sincere diplomat is like dry water or wooden iron. If any foreign minister begins to defend to the death a peace conference, you can be sure his government has already placed its orders for new battleships and airplanes. Churchill. Unfortunately, a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to get its pants on. Stalin. America is like a healthy body, and its resistance is threefold. Its patriotism, its morality, and its spiritual life. If we can undermine those, America will collapse from within. When we hang the capitalists, they will sell us the rope we use. Churchill. I am never going to have anything more to do with politics or politicians. When this war is over, 
I shall confine myself entirely to writing and painting. The next conversation is between Socrates and Martin Luther King. Again, these are stitched together conversations with me adding only little connective so it feels a little bit more like conversation. The operative words are all theirs. Socrates, of course, was a Greek philosopher who was credited as a founder of Western philosophy and the first moral philosopher of the ethical tradition of thought. Martin Luther King Jr. was a Baptist minister and activist who was the most visible leader of the civil rights movement until his assassination in 1968. He's the only non-president to have an annual national holiday in his honor. And again, I want to stress this. Sometimes a given quote, a long quote, may have come from two or even three parts and come from a different talk or writing. And I do occasionally add a connected word or a phrase to make it appear a bit more like conversation, but the substance comes from them. We'll start with Socrates. Who do I call educated? First, those who manage well their circumstances day by day. Next, those who are decent and honorable in their intercourse with all people, bearing easily and good-naturedly what is offensive in others. Those who hold their pleasure under control and are not overcome by their misfortunes. Those who are not spoiled by their successes, who do not desert their true selves but hold their ground steadfastly as wise and sober-minded people. King says, I have a dream this afternoon that my four little children will be judged on the content of their character and not the color of their skin, that all God's children will be able to join hands and sing in the words of that old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Socrates said, we cannot live better than in seeking to become better. King, capitalism does not permit an even flow of economic resources. And since we know that system will not change the rules, we are going to have to change the system. Socrates, the secret of happiness lies in developing the capacity to enjoy less. How many are the things I can do without? King, but when you are right, you cannot be too radical. It is incontestable and deplorable that Negroes have committed crimes, but they are derivative crimes. They are born of the greater crimes of the white society. A riot is the language of the unheard, mainly intended to shock the white community. They are a distorted form of social protest. The looting, which is their principal feature, serves many functions. It enables the most enraged and deprived Negro to take hold of consumer goods with the ease the white man does by using his purse. Often the Negro does not even want what he takes. He wants the experience of taking. Socrates, from the deepest desires often come the deadliest hate. Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. King, we as a people will get to the promised land. I want to be the white man's brother, not his brother-in-law. The hottest place in hell is reserved for those who remain neutral in times of great moral conflict. The new world order is being born, and an older order is passing away. Socrates, we all need remember that nature has given us two ears, two eyes, and but one tongue, so we may hear and see more than we speak. King, let us end on a note I think we can agree on. Even if it falls to your lot to be a street sweeper, go out and sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. So all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street. Next conversation is between Elizabeth Warren and Confucius. Confucius was an ancient Chinese philosopher who laid the foundation for much Asian culture to this day. Elizabeth Warren is the senior senator from Massachusetts and in 2020 was a front runner for the Democratic nomination for president. Start with Warren. 
We are not here because of men at all. We are here because of some hardworking women. I think Hillary Clinton is terrific. It is important that we have women in the United States Senate, strong women, women who are there to help advance an agenda that is important to women. Employers tilt the playing field against women of color at every stage of employment. We will fight back against attacks on Latinos, on African Americans, on women, on Muslims, on immigrants, on disabled Americans, on everyone. I was a lot more discreet as a candidate than I was in real life, Confucius. To rule a country of a thousand chariots, there must be reverent attention to business and sincerity, economy and expenditure, and love for men, even the, and the employment of the people at the proper seasons, Warren. It's better to fight because if you don't fight, you can't win. Besides, even when you don't win, you can change the game. There's a lot of talk coming from Citigroup about how Dodds-Frank isn't perfect. It should have broken you into pieces. Confucius. When anger rises, think of the consequences. Before you embark on a journey of revenge, dig two graves. Warren. The system is rigged. Confucius. Better a diamond with a flaw than a pebble without. Warren. There are lots of families who make irresponsible purchases. There also are a lot of families who have debt on credit cards because they use those credit cards to pay for medical bills. For many women, the on-time payment of domestic support obligations are essential to economic survival. Raising the minimum wage means we have workers paying more in to support the social security system. Confucius. He who will not economize will have to agonize. Warren. Perhaps we can find common ground in education. We need to align the incentives so that colleges have an incentive to keep down their costs, to graduate students on time with degrees in areas where they're going to be able to get jobs and going to be able to pay back those loans. Confucius, yes. I hear and I forget. I see and I remember. I do and I understand. He who learns but does not think is lost. He who thinks but does not learn is in great danger. To know what you know and what you don't know, that is true knowledge, Warren. I never sought nor gained personal benefit in school or job applications based on my heritage. Confucius, the object of the superior person is truth. The next conversation, lighter, is between John Wooden and Mike Krzyzewski, legendary basketball coaches. Again, these are stitched together conversations, not actual conversations, stitched together from their quotes start with, uh, I just want to say a little bit about them. Um, those two, Wooden and Krzyzewski, are arguably the most successful and respected basketball coaches in history, maybe among all coaches. Wooden won 10 NCAA championships in 12 years, 10 out of 12, amazing when there's hundreds and hundreds of teams, and was named the NCAA Coach of the Year seven times. Krzyzewski has won five national championships and was Time and CNN's Best Coach Award winner. Okay, we'll start with Wooden. Be quick, but don't hurry. I seldom was off my seat on the bench during the game. Krzyzewski, right. Calm works. A leader is not allowed to feel sorry for himself, to be down, to be angry, or to be weak. Leaders must beat back these emotions. Wooden, be more concerned with your character than your reputation. Ability may get you to the top, but it takes character to keep you there. Krzyzewski, I don't look at myself as a basketball coach. I look at myself as a leader who happens to coach basketball. Wooden. You can do more good by being good than any other way. Krzyzewski. On our team, we always tell each other the truth. 
We must be honest with each other. There is no other way. Wouldn't You can't let praise or criticism get to you. It's a weakness to get caught up in either. Krzyzewski. You don't instantly have trust. It has to be earned. Wouldn't You must earn the right to be proud and confident. Failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Krzyzewski. We won the national championship again the next year. A lot of it had to do with the fact that I didn't give myself an opportunity to enjoy the first one. Wouldn't. Don't measure yourself up what you have accomplished what, by what you should have accomplished with your ability. The best competition I have is against myself to become better. Krzyzewski. A leadership may be the most knowledgeable person in the world, but if the players on his team cannot translate this knowledge into action, it means nothing. Wouldn't. Whatever you do in life, surround yourself with smart people who will argue with you. Krzyzewski. I don't think we surprise people. We try to out-execute them. The next conversation is between uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and Yasser Arafat. Benjamin Netanyahu was the Prime Minister of Israel till 2021. Yasser Arafat was Chairman of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, the PLO, for 35 years. Here is their, their dialogue. Again, stitched together quotes. Uh, Netanyahu says, if the Arabs put down their weapons today, there would be no more violence. If the Jews put down their weapons today, there would be no more Israel. Arafat, we will not bend or fail until the blood of every last Jew from the youngest child to the oldest elder is spilled to redeem our land. Netanyahu, I don't want to govern the Palestinians. I don't want them as subjects of Israel or as citizens of Israel. I want them to have their own independent state, but a demilitarized state. Arafat, Peace for us means the destruction of Israel. I, Yasser Arafat, man of destiny, will give the Palestinians a national identity through conflict with Israel. Whoever stands by a just cause cannot possibly be called a terrorist. Netanyahu. We are entitled to our own country where Jews from around the world can come, just as Palestinians from around the world can come to a Palestinian state. Arafat. Peace for us means the destruction of Israel. We are preparing for an all-out war, a war that will last for generations. The Israelis are mistaken if they think we do not have an alternative to negotiations. By Allah, I swear they are wrong. The Palestinian people are prepared to sacrifice the last boy and the last girl so that the Palestinian flag will be flown over the walls, the churches, and the mosques of Jerusalem. Netanyahu. I often hear them accuse Israel of Judaizing Jerusalem. That's like accusing America of Americanizing Washington or the British of anglicizing London. You know why we're called Jews? Because we come from Judea, the land of Israel and Palestine. Arafat. Martyrs, martyrs, martyrs. We want a million martyrs to march on Jerusalem. Netanyahu. You bomb us, you threaten us with more. So peace, peace is purchased from strength. It's not purchased from weakness or unilateral retreats. Arafat. Since we cannot defeat Israel in war, we do this in stages. We take any and every territory we can of Palestine and establish a sovereignty there, and we use it as a springboard to take more. When the time comes, we can get the Arab nations to join us for the final blow against Israel. Netanyahu. You know who's been violating the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Pact day and night? Those who signed it. Iran, Iraq, Libya. And Iran violates it while calling for Israel's destruction and racing to develop atomic weapons to that end. Must this conflict continue for generations? Will we, will we enable our children and our grandchildren to speak in years ahead of how we found a way to end it? 
I'll let our listeners know now. You're listening to work with uh, to how to do life. Um, uh, we're talking. I'm offering stitched together conversations that are uh, the uh, em- quotes from eminent people in interesting pairs. Um, and uh, I'm going to take just a brief momentary break. The announcer will say something, and then I'll be back. Hope you'll stay with me. Uncommon Sense Advice on your work life, your personal life, and God knows what else. Welcome to How to Do Life with Dr. Marty Nemco. Okay, this next one is Joe Biden and Ronald Reagan in, quote, conversation. It's fun to imagine a conversation between those two very different presidents, Joe Biden and the late Ronald Reagan. Biden, we'll start with Biden. I am a gaff machine, but by God, what a wonderful thing compared to a guy who can't tell the truth. Reagan, how can a president not be an actor? <laughs> Trust, but verify. Biden, politics doesn't have to be a raging fire, and we must reject the culture in which the facts themselves are manipulated, even manufactured. Reagan, politics is the second oldest profession. I have learned that it bears a striking resemblance to the first. Politics is not a bad profession. If you succeed there, there are many rewards. And if you disgrace yourself, you can always write a book. Biden. Corruption is a cancer, a cancer that eats away at a citizen's faith in democracy. Reagan. Government's view of the economy could be summed up in a few short phrases. If it moves, tax it. If it keeps moving, regulate it. And if it stops moving, subsidize it. Biden. We need taxes. That I've stitched that sentence together to make it more of a conversation. Here's his quote. For too long in this society, we have celebrated unrestrained individualism over common community. Reagan, we must reject the idea that every time a law is broken, society is guilty rather than the lawbreaker. It is time to restore the American precept that each individual is accountable for his actions. Biden, America doesn't have health insurance. We continue to subsidize highways beyond the gasoline tax and airlines. And we don't subsidize, we don't want to subsidize a national rail system that has a positive environmental impact. Reagan, the most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Government's first duty is to protect the people, not run their lives. Biden, unions did in fact build the middle class. And here's what did that. They built, and here's what that did. They built the United States of America as we know it. Reagan, the trouble with our liberal friends is not that they're ignorant. It's just that they know so much that isn't so. Biden, one of the things I've never been accused of is not caring about people. Reagan, caring is one thing. Wise stewardship of taxpayer dollars is another. For example, we should measure welfare success by how many people leave welfare, not by how many are added. Government programs once launched never disappear. Actually, a government bureau is the nearest thing to eternal life we'll ever see on this earth. The next quotes are from uh, three people together, Carl Sagan, Albert Einstein, and Neil deGrasse Tyson. Famous astronomers, physicists, cosmologists, whatever you want to call them. Anyway, um, they certainly do all think about what's important in the cosmic scheme of things. They're literally big thinkers. Start with Sagan. The dumbing down of Americans is most uh, of America is most evident in the slow decay of substantive content in the enormously influential media. Tyson, we have large groups of people who will accept whatever they hear on the grapevine just because it suits their worldview, not because it's actually true or because they have evidence to support it. Sagan, 
Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Scientists often say, you know, that's a really good argument. My position is mistaken. I cannot recall the last time something like that happened in politics or religion. Einstein, don't forget about the school's role in this. Education is what remains after one has forgotten what has learned, one has learned in school. Tyson, people cited violation of the First Amendment when a New Jersey school teacher asserted that evolution and the Big Bang are not scientific and that Noah's Ark carried dinosaurs. That case is not about the need to separate church and state. It's about the need to separate ignorant, scientifically illiterate people from the ranks of teachers. Einstein, the measure of intelligence is the ability to change. Great spirits have always encountered violent opposition from mediocre minds. Tyson, the question is not why 85% of the members of the National Academy of Sciences reject God. I want to know why 15% of the National Academy don't. Sagan, one of the saddest lessons of history is this. If we've been bamboozled long enough, we tend to reject any evidence of the bamboozle. We're no longer interested in finding out the truth. The bamboozle has captured us, and the dangers of not thinking clearly are much greater now than ever before. Einstein. Apart from trying to be intelligent, let's talk a bit about how to live life. A table, a chair, a bowl of fruit, and a violin. What else does a man need to be happy? I also believe that the best way to cheer yourself up is to cheer someone else up. That said, I now live in that solitude which is painful in youth, but delicious in the years of maturity. Sagan. For me, it's key to be aware of our role in history and more broadly in the cosmos. One glance at a book and you hear the voice of another person, perhaps someone dead for a thousand years. To read is to voyage through time and look at again at that dot earth. That's here, that's home, that's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their life. Einstein, and turning to the future, I know not with what weapons World War III will uh, be fought, but World War IV, World War IV, will be fought with sticks and stones. The next conversation that's stitched together, these quotes, are Paul Simon, Bob Dylan, and Paul McCartney. Lyricists are poets for the masses. For decades now, Paul Simon, Bob Dylan, and Paul McCartney have been their poet laureates. I've stitched together some of their popular quotes into a conversation, and here we begin. And again, I can add some connectives to just stitch them together a little bit, but all the substance comes from them. Simon, all lies and jests, still a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. Dylan, you're right. Democracy don't rule the world. You better get that in your head. This world is ruled by violence, but I guess that's better left unsaid. McCartney, yes. So we better think globally, act locally. Simon, but before we act, we need to reflect more. Listen to the sound of silence. Dylan, in college, they reflect a lot, but do little. Colleges are like old age homes, except that more people die in colleges. Simon, changing the topic. I don't like fashion. It's very heartless. McCartney, yup. Bye bye, says the sign in the shop window. Why, why, says the junk in the yard. Dylan, right. Things are overrated. So are people. I have dined with kings. I've been offered wings and I've never been too impressed. McCartney. I'll tell you what doesn't impress me. If slaughterhouses had glass walls, everybody would be a vegetarian. Dylan. 
Speaking of death, death to me means nothing as long as I can die fast. The next quote uh, conversation comes from uh, theists Pope Benedict, Billy Graham, and atheist Richard Dawkins. Start with Benedict. Apart from Jesus Christ, written, risen from the dead, there can be no salvation. He alone can free the world from evil. Dawkins. Faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Graham. Don't be misled by those who claim God doesn't exist because he does. Dawkins. We cannot, of course, disprove God, just as we can disprove Thor, fairies, leprechauns, and the flying spaghetti monster. Graham. God proved his love on the cross. When Christ hung, bled, and died, it was God saying to the world, I love you. Dawkins. How can you take seriously someone who likes to believe something because he finds it comforting? Benedict. Whenever individuals and nations accept God's presence, worship him in truth, and listen to his voice, then the civilization of love is being built. Dawkins. One of the things that's wrong with religion is that it teaches us to be satisfied with answers that are not really answers at all. Benedict, to set God aside is to separate ourselves from the source of life and inevitably to deprive ourselves of fulfillment and joy. Graham, the second coming of Christ will be so revolutionary that it will change every aspect of life on this planet. Disease will be eliminated. Death will be abolished. We will be eradicated. War, excuse me, war will be eradicated. Nature will be transformed. Dawkins, to an honest judge, the alleged marriage between religion and science is a shallow, empty, spin-doctored sham. Benedict, I certainly hope you can agree that one who has hope lives differently. Dawkins, true, but don't kid yourself that you're going to live again after you're dead. You're not. Make the most of the one life you've got. Benedict, yes, try each day to follow Christ's word. Listen to him as a true friend with whom you can share your path in life. With him at your side, you will find courage and hope to face difficulties and problems and even to overcome disappointments and setbacks. Graham. Christians should never fail to sense the operation of an angelic glory. It forever eclipses the world of demonic powers as the sun does a candle's light. Dawkins. Really? The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect. If there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Do not indoctrinate your children. Teach them how to think for themselves, how to evaluate evidence, how to disagree with you. Graham. Both leaders and individuals are asking one basic question. Is there any hope for the future? My answer is the same. Yes, through Jesus Christ. The only time my prayers are never answered is on the golf course. Okay. Next conversation is, that's again, it's not conversation, but a stitched together set of quotes is between Barack Obama and Margaret Thatcher. Of course, uh, Obama's the recent president of the United States, Margaret Thatcher, a not quite as recent uh, prime minister of the United Kingdom, Britain. I'll start with Obama. If you're looking for the safe choice, you shouldn't be supporting a black guy named Barack Obama to be the next leader of the free world, Thatcher. I wasn't a safe choice either. What Britain needed was an iron lady curing the British disease with socialism, was trying to cure leukemia with leeches. Obama. Apart from our being strong leaders, anybody who's occupied this office has to remember that success is determined by an intersection of policy and politics, and you can't be neglecting marketing and PR and public opinion. Thatcher. True, and going a step further, you don't tell deliberate lies, but sometimes you have to be evasive. P. Obama. PR is one thing, but on the substance, I was unambiguous. For example, to avoid being mistaken for a sellout, I chose my friends carefully. 
the more politically active black students, the foreign students, the Chicanos, the Marxist professors and structural feminists, and punk rock performance poets. I've been fighting with ACORN alongside ACORN on issues you care about my entire career. Thatcher, all that socialism. The problem with socialism is that you eventually run out of other people's money. Obama, it wasn't just socialism. It's focusing on the other. For example, the United States has been enriched by Muslim Americans. Many other Americans have Muslims in their families who have lived in a Muslim-majority country. I know because I'm one of them. Thatcher, yes, but I fear we've been too capitulating to OPEC and to extremist groups. I seem to smell the stench of appeasement in the air. Obama, I'm no appeaser, no wimp. I've got a pen and I've got a phone, and I can use that pen to sign executive orders and take executive actions and administrative actions that move the ball forward. Thatcher, we have different definitions of forward. No matter. I love argument. I love debate. I don't expect anyone just to sit there and agree with me. That's not their job. Obama, you're right. We don't agree on what forward looks like. We need someone who's got the heart, the empathy to recognize what it's like to be a young teenage mom, the empathy to understand what it's like to be a poor, poor or African-American or gay or disabled or old. And that's the criterion by which I'll be selecting my judges. Thatcher, we have different criteria for judging people. More than empathy, I think about what is success. I think it is a mixture of having a flair for the thing you are doing, knowing that it is not enough, uh, that you have to, uh, you have, you've got to have hard work and a certain sense of purpose. I do not know anyone who's gotten to the top without hard work. That is the recipe. It will not always get you to the top, but it should get you pretty near. Obama. We share common ground here. We need to internalize this idea of excellence. Not many folks spend a lot of time trying to be excellent. Shake it off. Stop complaining. Stop grumbling. Stop crying. We are going to press on. We have work to do. But your definition of work is different from mine. You're focusing on making things more equal. I focus on wealth creation and in turn job creation. It is not the creation of wealth that's wrong, but the love of money for its own sake. Obama. Again, looking for common ground, I think we can agree that at at, on this at least. The Middle East is obviously an issue that has plagued the region for centuries. Thatcher. Yes, I do try to remember that it pays to know our enemy. Not least because at some time you may have the opportunity to turn him into a friend. Obama. Beyond the Middle East threats, when we think of the major threats to our national security, the first to come to mind are nuclear proliferation, rogue states, and global terrorism. But another kind of threat lurks beyond our shores, one from nature, not humans, an avian flu pandemic. Thatcher, you mentioned nuclear proliferation. Actually, I believe that a world without nuclear weapons would be less stable and more dangerous for us all. Obama, just because I'm concerned about nuclear proliferation doesn't mean I'm an appeaser. We have real enemies in the world. These enemies must be found. They must be pursued and they must be defeated. Thatcher, sounds like we can find common ground and that we're conviction politicians. To me, consensus seems to be the process of abandoning all beliefs, principles, values, and policies. So it is something that no one believes and to which no one objects. I am not a consensus politician. I'm a conviction politician. Obama. But there can be a problem if everyone's a conviction politician and, uh, and not a compromiser. It's one of the few regrets of my presidency that the rancor and suspicion between the parties has gotten worse instead of better. For example, even though I'm a liberal, the last thing you'll want to do is raise taxes in the middle of a recession because that would just suck up and take more demand out of the economy and put businesses in a further hole. I am an ardent believer in the free market. America has a debt problem and a failure of leadership. Americans deserve better. I therefore intend to oppose the effort to increase America's debt. What Washington needs is adult supervision. Thatcher. There again, I agree. Pennies do not come from heaven. They have to be earned here on earth. You're now, I will let you know you're listening to How to Do Life and uh, 
uh, putting together these conversations that are basically stitched together uh, quotes from pairs of luminaries. And I'll take a brief break. Be back in a moment. Uncommon Sense Advice on your work life, your personal life, and God knows what else. Welcome to How to Do Life with Dr. Marty Nemco. This is Bill and Hillary Clinton in conversation. Obviously, the former president and his first lady, and she was secretary of state. Bill says, our democracy cannot survive its current downward drift into tribalism, extremism, and seething resentment. Today, it's us versus them in America. Politics is little more than blood sport. As a result, our willingness to believe the worst about everyone outside our bubble is growing, and our ability to solve problems and seize opportunities is shrinking. Hillary, you're centrally worried about us versus them. Well, I believe that the rights of women and girls is the unfinished business of the 21st century. I have always believed that women are not victims. We are agents of change, Bill. And again, I stitch together, I add these connected phrases or sentences, and this, this is an example. I know that's important to you. I'd only say that, and now we get to his quote. I'd only say that the problem with any ideology is that it gives the answer before you look at the evidence. Sometimes when people are under stress, they hate to think, and it's the time when they most need to think. Hillary, I am not just about women and girls. I believe we should strengthen unions. We are going to put a lot of coal miners and coal companies out of business. On some campuses, change is affected through nonviolent or even violent means. Bill, the politics of constant conflict may be good, but what is good politics does not necessarily work in the real world. The media knows what sells, conflict and division. It's also quick and easy. All too often, anger works better than answers, resentment better than reason, emotion trumps evidence. Hillary, I think you'll agree with me on this. I can't stand whining. Also, we count on the space of trust that confidentiality provides. I believe in a zone of privacy. I'm not going to have some reporters pawing through our papers. We are the president. Bill, we are the president? Let me tell you, being president is like being the groundskeeper in a cemetery. There are a lot of people under you, but none of them are listening. You can put wings on a pig, but that doesn't make it an eagle. Hillary, changing the topic, this may surprise you, but I am, you know, adamantly against illegal immigration. We know in New York we have several million at any one time who are in New York illegally. People have to stop employing illegal immigrants. Bill, get real. Follow the trend lines, not the headlines. You're making a mistake here. Uh, by the way, his quote was not, you're making a mistake here. His, his quote was, follow the trend lines, not the headlines. I those with the connectives. And Hillary ends by saying, in the Bible, it says they asked Jesus how many times you should forgive. And he says, 70 times 7. Well, I want you all to know that I'm keeping a chart. The next one is um, Kamala Harris and Donald Trump. Again, stitch together conversations. Occasionally, we'll add a connective, but never, never affecting their substances. The substances are always verbatim. Trump, show me someone without an ego, and I'll show you a loser. Harris, I will agree that assertiveness helps. You never have to ask anyone permission to lead. When you want to lead, you lead. Trump, not everyone should be a leader, but it helps to watch, listen, and learn. You can't know it all by yourself. Harris, I always think about the people who came before and paved the way for me to get where I am today, from Rosa Parks to Shirley Chisholm to Congressman John Lewis. Trump, politicians, one of the key problems today is that politics is such a disgrace. Good people don't go into government. Harris, black women who are too often overlooked, but so often presume that they are the backbone of our society. 
Trump. I try not to overlook anyone of quality. I choose my teachers carefully, very carefully. I'm extremely cautious of the people with whom I spend my time and to whom I listen. Harris. To that end, Howard University very directly influenced and reinforced my sense of being and meaning and reasons for being. Trump. I like to focus on the practical. Do not spend too much time planning or trying to anticipate or solve problems before they happen. That's just another excuse for procrastination. Get into action and solve the problems as they arise. Harris. I agree on the need for action. We'll need to work, organize, and vote like never before. Trump. Yes, but we differ on what to work toward. The more government takes in taxes, the less incentive people have to work. What coal miner or assembly line worker jumps at the offer of overtime when he knows that Uncle Sam's going to take 60% or more of his extra pay? If you reduce tax rates and allow people to spend or save more of what they earn, they'll be more industrious. The result, more prosperity for all and more revenue for government. Harris. I focus on taking down predators of the poor. I took on the biggest banks, and I helped take down one of the biggest for-profit colleges. I know a predator when I see one. Trump. So do I. Look what's going on with your gasoline prices. They're going to go to five, six, seven dollars, and we don't have anybody in Washington that calls OPEC and says, fellas, it's time. It's over. You are not going to do it anymore. Harris says, I too love America, especially that our democratic institutions that protect our fundamental ideals, the freedom of religion, the rule of law, protection from discrimination based on national origin, freedom of the press, and a 200-year history as a nation built on immigrants, built by immigrants. Trump, I want good people to come here from all over the world, but I want them to do so legally. Those people who take advantage of the system and come here illegally should never enjoy the benefits of being a resident or citizen of this nation. Harris, Black people have been treated as less than human in America because our country has never fully addressed the systemic racism that has plagued our country since its earliest days. Every issue is a black woman's issue, and black women's issues are everyone's issues. It is the duty of every American to fix it. No longer can some wait on the sidelines hoping for incremental change. In times like this, silence is complicity. Trump, changing the topic, the debt limits have to come down. We have to create jobs and we have to create them rapidly because if we don't, things are just going to head in a direction it's going to be almost impossible to recover from. Politicians don't care too much what things cost. It's not their money. Harris, let's end by lightening things up a bit. Talk about music and art. I think I have every piece of music that Bob Marley ever made. Trump, on art, a lot of modern art, modern art is a con. The most successful painters are often better salesmen and promoters than they are artists. Harris, Look who's talking about being a con artist. Now, I, I, those are my words. Trump, I will admit that a little more moderation would be good. Of course, my life hasn't exactly been one of moderation. I can't feel good that every time I walk down the street, people are screaming, you're fired. The next uh, conversation is Eleanor Roosevelt and Arthur Schopenhauer. Eleanor Roosevelt was the U.S.'s first lady and her husband Franklin Roosevelt's four terms. She was the first chair of the U.N. Commission on Human Rights. President Truman called her the first lady of the world for her human rights achievements. She ranked ninth in Gallup's list of most widely admired people of the 20th century. Arthur Schopenhauer was a philosopher best known for his work, The World as Will and Representation. His work is an exemplar of philosophical pessimism. Those who have cited his influence include Nietzsche, Einstein, Freud, Tolstoy, and Brahms. Roosevelt. It's probably the sense of really being needed and wanted that gives us the greatest satisfaction. Schopenhauer. I disagree. A man can be himself only as long as he's alone. 
A high degree of intellect tends to make a man unsocial. Great men are like eagles and build their nest on some lofty solitude. If children were brought into the human race by an act of pure reason alone, would the human race continue to exist? Roosevelt. Arthur, not intellect, but only a man's character is the real criterion of worth. But I do agree that if someone betrays you once, it's their fault. If they betray you twice, it's your fault. Schopenhauer. We forfeit three-fourths of ourselves in order to be like other people. Expanding to the larger issue of happiness, what disturbs and depresses young people is the hunt for happiness. From this arises constantly deluded hope and also dissatisfaction. Roosevelt. Arthur, my most widely cited quote may be relevant advice to you here. It is better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. Schopenhauer. Eleanor, there is benefit in looking at the negative. So, every man takes the limit of his own field of vision for the limits of the world. The superficial nature of their thoughts, the narrowness of their views, the number of their errors. Roosevelt. I agree that we need to be confident, not certain. And may I jibe you by reminding you that great minds discuss ideas, average minds discuss events, small minds discuss people. My experience has been that work is almost the, always the best way to pull yourself out of the depths. It is not more vacation we need, it is more vocation. Happiness is not a goal, it is a byproduct. Schopenhauer. Just one more shot at people. Every miserable fool who has nothing at all of which he can be proud, adopts as a last resource pride in the nation to which he belongs, thus reimbursing himself for his own inferiority. Roosevelt. Sometimes I wonder if we shall ever grow up in our politics and say definite things that mean something, or whether we shall always go on using generalities to which everyone can subscribe and that mean very little. Schopenhauer. When some political or ecclesiastical pamphlet, novel, or poem is making a great commotion, you should remember that he who writes for fools always finds a large public. Roosevelt. Perhaps we can find common ground in discussing what it takes to be a fully actualized person. For the person who is unwilling to grow up, the person who does not want to carry his own weight, this is a frightening prospect. Also, a mature person does not think only in absolutes, is able to be objective even when deeply stirred emotionally, and learn that there is both good and bad in all people and all things. Plus, you have to accept whatever comes, and the only important thing is that you meet it with the best you have to give. One's philosophy is not best expressed in words. It's expressed in the choices one makes. The process never ends until we die. Schopenhauer. Speaking of death, let's end this by sharing my view on, on suicide. They tell us that suicide is wrong when it is quite obvious that there is nothing in this world to which every man has a more unassailable title than to his own life and person. Roosevelt. Arthur, I wish you greater happiness. Stitched together, quote, conversation is between Bertrand Russell and Sigmund Freud. Nobel laureate Bertrand Russell had transformational accomplishments in philosophy, logic, mathematics, and as an anti-war activist. He helped lay the foundation for computer science, cognitive science, and even artificial intelligence, despite his having done his major work before 1950. Sigmund Freud was a neurologist and founder of psychoanalysis. In the latter, he developed the free association technique and the concepts of id, ego, superego, and transference. W.H. Auden described Freud as having created, quote, a whole climate of opinion under which we conduct our different lives. Start with Russell. The whole problem with the world is that fools and fanatics are always so certain of themselves and wiser people so full of doubts. Freud, true. Ultimately, after endless rebuffs, the intellect succeeds. This is one of the few points in which one may be optimistic about the future of mankind. Russell, 
Ironically, we're faced with the paradoxical fact that education has become one of the chief obstacles to intelligence and freedom of thought. Freud. Education is one problem, religion is another. Religion is a system of wishful illusions together with a disavowal of reality. Russell, I agree. There is something feeble and a little contemptible about a man who cannot face the perils of life without the help of, of comfortable myths. As far as I can remember, there's not one word in the Gospels in praise of intelligence. Freud. People turn to religion because people do not really want freedom, because freedom involves responsibility, and most people are frightened of responsibility. Russell. The fact that an opinion has been widely held is no evidence whatsoever that it is not utterly absurd. What is needed is not the will to believe, but the will to find out, which is the exact opposite. Freud. What a distressing contrast there is between the radiant intelligence of the child and the feeble mentality of the average adult. Freud. Being entirely honest with oneself is a good exercise. What is needed for solving the problems of human life and motives is not moral estimates, but more knowledge. Russell. Right. Much that passes as idealism is disguised hatred or disguised love of power. All movements go too far. Freud. People seek power, success, and wealth for themselves and admire them in others and underestimate what's in true of true value. Russell. It is preoccupation with possessions more than anything else that prevents us from living freely and nobly. Work matters, and the pleasure of work is open to anyone who can develop some specialized skill, provided he can get some satisfaction from the exercise of that skill without demanding universal applause. Anything you're good at contributes to happiness. Freud. Love and work, work and love, that's all there is. Russell. Love is something far more than the desire for sexual intercourse. It is the principal means of escape from the loneliness that afflicts most men and women throughout the greater part of their lives. Freud. One is very crazy when in love. We are never so defenseless against suffering as when in love. Russell. A happy life must be to a great extent a quiet life, for it is only in an atmosphere of quiet that true joy dare live. And the final one of these uh, stitched together, quote, conversations between two liminaries is uh, between Picasso and Beethoven. Okay, let's start with Picasso. Inspiration exists, but it has to find you working. Beethoven, write. I'd rather write 10,000 notes than a single letter of the alphabet. Picasso, in a concentration camp, I would paint, even if I had to paint my pictures with my wet tongue on the dusty floor of my cell. Music from my fourth year began to be the first of my youthful occupations. I became fond of her, and, as it often seemed to me, she of me. Picasso, it is your work in life that is the ultimate seduction. Beethoven, I live only in my music. Picasso, what one does is what counts, not what the intention of doing. Beethoven, to play a wrong note is insignificant. To play without passion is inexcusable. Picasso, painting is not done to decorate apartments. It is an instrument of war. Beethoven, it seemed unthinkable of me to leave this world forever before I had produced all I felt called upon to produce. Picasso, the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away and to pass wisdom on to your children. Recommend virtue to your children. It alone, not money, can make them happy. I speak from experience. In any case, if you stay with me this long, an hour and 15 minutes, I'm impressed. Um, but these are the very best quotes I could find from the very most interesting luminaries I could find. Uh, I, I, I read them maybe a little fast. Maybe if you, you know it's worth re-listening, listening again. Uh, I delude myself into thinking that's true. In any event, I do thank you for watching. If you're listening on a podcast, 
Um, thank you for listening. Uh, as I like to end every podcast, I predict maybe a good synthesis of what many of these these uh, great minds have uh, shared with us is that uh, we find comfort among those who agree with us, growth among those who don't. You've been listening to How to Do Life with Dr. Marty Nemco. For comments on the show or to consult with Dr. Marty Nemco, his email address is mnemko at comcast.net. Post-production of How to Do Life by Terry Rouse. Music by Blue Dot Session. Thanks for listening.